All right, as you gather back to your seats, I wanted to make just a, just a brief mention of what's some of the things going on in the life of this church. Um, following service today, um, we're having a potluck. It's one of our favorite um, events that we do once a quarter. Potluck, yeah, and it, I can assure you that it's not all green bean casserole, so we're good to go. I saw Nick Neighbor's special, was it pork in that? Yeah, it's just gonna, yeah you know it's going to be good. Um, just, yeah, just look at Nick, yeah. <laughs> you know it's going to be good. Hey, he did it, he did it. I felt, are you good? Are you offended? Okay, I put you on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> so please stick around, um, even those of you that are new, we're so glad you're here. The second thing I wanted to, to bring your attention is a lot of people uh, that come through our church and, and, and they find out more about us and, and learn about it, they, they're like, well, what about this Presbyterian thing? Um, we don't make like that big of a deal about it, but it is a big deal to us, um, Presbyterianism and those sorts of things. Um, in the back, I've got some books on the back table. This is a brief explanation, a really good, helpful explanation of why church government is important and what is Presbyterianism in the sense of church government. If you want this book, grab it. It's on the black table in the back. Here's the last uh, sentence. This book is an, an ideal, is an ideal resource for explaining the relevance of church government to the ordinary Christian's life and service. So please, pick one up. One of the things that we're doing in the life of this church right now is we're raising up men to be elders. And one of the things that they're doing is they're learning what does it mean to be Presbyterian. And it's been a really fun journey uh, for me to help them understand it, to have great conversations. Um, the, the one downside is that it's at 5.30 in the morning every Tuesday and Thursday. Hey, they're committed, okay? The people that you nominated are committed to this process but these are the things they're learning, and I think it's important for all of us to be understanding at least on some level what, what they are learning, uh, because we're all trying to pull in the same direction. So grab this book, pick it up, it's free. We're continuing in our, our study of the book of Acts, and this morning we've come to Acts chapter 9, 20, verse 23 through 31. If you have a bulletin, you can follow along. We've printed the text in your bulletin. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to read that let me just give you a little brief of what has been going on for those of you that aren't familiar. Saul, who we also know as Paul, has been converted on the road to Damascus, and he has become a Christian. <laughs> he, 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 he was blind, and now he sees, and this is where this story picks up, his life right into the midst of all of this, and we'll read this. So Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 31, hear now the word of God. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, that is, Saul. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not yet believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostle and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. 
So he went in and in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarshish, which is Saul's hometown. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. One of the great <clears throat> Christmas traditions that I've grown to love with my wife's family was the gifts that we would buy each other from the Dollar Tree. You see, after opening all the presents we really wanted, we took time to open up the presents that made that Christmas day fun. And what would make this Christmas day fun for adults? Toys from the Dollar Tree. You see, we would buy these Really nice presents, but then in just a few short periods of years, we forget about it. But not some of the Dollar Tree stores. No, no, no. One of the presents that my mother-in-law received, and I can't remember who it was, but this happened about 10 years ago, was this plastic hand that was connected to a pole. It was, it, it, it's this pole that if you were to squeeze the lever at the end of the pole, the hand was to contract, and you could pull from it. This present became one of the most memorable presents, Christmas presents in the history of our family, hands down. Why? Because this plastic hand is still used today. I don't have a very tall mother-in-law, but when she needs to get something from the top of her pantry, she goes and takes the plastic hand, contracts the lever, and grabs hold of whatever she needs to hold. It's a small gift, seemingly insignificant, that yields great results. I believe advocacy is just like that. It is a very small gift, but yields great results. Many of us uh, practice advocacy, but maybe we don't appreciate it. We might participate in it from time to time, but we don't ever spend time thinking about advocacy. It's rarely talked about, maybe considered very time to time, it's not even championed all that much. For example, you have met, maybe have never heard a sermon on advocacy. I know that I've never preached on advocacy. Yet, what I think is, it's so important that we look at it. It's this very small act that yields incredible results. And it's time we consider it. It's time that we appreciate it. It's time that we consider and appreciate it and participate it more and more. Because in this small act, I think we will see incredible results. Advocacy is what we have in Acts 9. That is what Acts 9, 23 through 31 is about. It's about Barnabas advocating for Saul. And in this small act of advocacy, there were significant results. So this morning, I want us to take some time to look at this story in detail that we might grow in our appreciation for advocacy and participate in it all the more. It's truly a gift to us. So to grow in our appreciation and participation of advocacy, we're going to consider the purpose of advocacy, the practice of advocacy, and the produce of advocacy. The purpose, the practice, and the produce of advocacy. So first, let's look at the purpose of advocacy. Our text illustrates it quite well. If you recall, Saul, also known as Paul, 
It depends ultimately on if he's speaking to the Jews or the Greeks. Saul with the Jews, Paul with the Greeks. Saul finds himself in a difficult situation, does he not? He is wanted dead in the city of Damascus, some 70 miles north of Jerusalem. Most likely his teachings have frustrated the Jews in that city to the point that now they want to kill him. So they're watching the gates day and night to capture him. But his disciples find out, and so does Saul, and they say, let's get you out of here. So they lower him down the city wall in a basket at night. For some reason, Saul goes to Jerusalem. I'm sorry, it's not 70, 150 miles. Goes to Jerusalem, 150 miles south. According to his letter in Galatia, according to his letter to the church in Galatia, he says that his intention is to meet up with Peter, Jesus' primary disciple. But the problem with this is that the apostles, Peter himself, are afraid of Saul. Three years earlier, he famously participated in the killing of Stephen, one of the seven servants elected by the apostles to serve the Hellenists. He had also put many of, of, of these apostles' friends in prisons for their belief in Jesus. So, of course, these people don't trust him. In fact, they don't want anything to do with him. So here's Saul. He's in this difficult situation, a seemingly impossible situation. He's not wanted in Damascus, nor is he wanted in Jerusalem. What can he do? Nothing. Saul can do nothing. Left to himself, he will not be trusted. He will not be welcomed, and he will not be able to meet with Jesus' main disciple, Peter. This story articulates to a T the very purpose of advocacy. The purpose of advocacy is to make possible that which seems or is impossible. I'll say that a little bit differently. Advocacy makes possibilities out of seeming impossibilities. Saul wanted to meet up with Peter, but this was impossible because the apostles didn't trust him. Saul wanted to find comfort amongst these like-minded believers, but this was impossible because the apostles wouldn't offer their right hand of fellowship. So what Saul needed was an advocate to make possible what was to him impossible. And this is what he found in Barnabas, an advocate. In April of 2015, I endured a lengthy and long ordination process to become an ordained minister. This process included several papers, a written exam, an oral exam in front of a credentialing committee, and then finally an oral exam in front of 100 elders in the Presbyterian Church. For over five years, I trained for these exams. And as you can imagine, it was incredibly pressure-packed. John's about to go through this himself. Good luck, John. Now, for the most part, I did very well. But during my oral exams with the credentialing committee, I was asked to answer a question in regards to baptism. And my answer revealed that I didn't quite have a good understanding of baptism. And so they said to me, hey, we're going to pass you in all of these, but we need you to study this particular aspect of baptism. We cannot approve you until you do this. So they had me go write a paper. They had me study and read all sorts of things and then report back to them. That much I did. And, and, and they said, all right, we'll put you in front of the hundred or so elders in the church to be tested on in front of them. Now, I don't think they knew this, but the question on baptism came up again. And I answered the question as I had learned and trained and thought. But then one of the most prominent men in all of the presbytery stood up and challenged me. He says, I think you're wrong. And I'm going, what is going on? 
what is happening? Now, I look to my left, and the guy who kind of runs the credentialing committee, the guy who kind of makes sure everything's running decently in order, he's like, it's okay, it's okay. But an advocate in the midst of this stood up for me. His name is Todd Matoka, and I'll never forget his name, and I've not done much work with him, but he was standing kind of back middle, and he stood up in the midst of this great challenge towards me, and he didn't challenge me, but he challenged the man who was challenging me, and he said to him, you're wrong. Your view is wrong. And the man who is well-respected, and still, and I like this guy, I, I really do, I still like him, he was quieted because I had an advocate, Todd, in the back. Now, I had my view. I thought I had learned it right, and I still stand by my view. But I don't know if I would have passed that had I not had Todd Matoka in the back. Because what was seemingly impossible for me was made possible by a man who knew how to do that. That's the purpose of an advocate. Someone who stands where, where you can't stand yourself and gives you a voice, and gives you a place when you don't have that voice or you don't have that place. If we're gonna come to appreciate and to be great advocates, we have to understand that this is what an advocate does. It stands where you can't stand. It's to make possible what you can't make possible yourself. We've gotta see this. We've gotta see this if we're going to appreciate this. Lord willing, you can see that this is the purpose of advocacy. But if we're gonna grow in our appreciation and participation of advocacy, we don't just need to see its purpose. We need, secondly, to see and observe how to practice advocacy. So second, let's take some time observing how advocacy is practiced. In truth, the practice of advocacy is not hard. It just requires a little bit of action. This is what we find in verse 27. We read that Barnabas did three things for Saul in his advocacy, advocating for him. Barnabas took Saul and brought Saul and declared to the apostles how on the road that Saul had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas acted. He took, he brought, he declared. He took Saul, meaning he went near Saul when no one else would do that. In the minds of the apostles, this was incredibly risky, but Barnabas was willing to take that risk. Secondly, Barnabas brought Saul to the apostles. Again, what was impossible for Saul was possible for Barnabas. And I'm gonna discuss this practice in just a moment. But Barnabas utilized the social capital that he had with the apostles on behalf of Saul, and he expended it with them. Lastly, he declared, to Barna, uh, declared what Saul had done. He used his voice, a voice that had great credit with the apostles, to declare to them that Saul was indeed one of us. This is what an advocate does. They act. They do. They act on behalf of someone who can't. And if you want to be an advocate... This is what you do. You act where someone can't act. But here's the thing. I want to dive a little bit deeper into advocacy because I think there's something that we can learn, some wisdom from this advocacy that we can be advocates of great wisdom but also of great force. Let's consider Barnabas again. 
He was, after all, the one doing the advocating for Saul. We know that Barnabas is well thought of by the apostles. This is because they understood that his faith was genuine. In Acts 4, verse 36, we learn that Barnabas, who's a son of a Levite from Cyprus, that is, he's a Jew, he is, he is someone who has sold a property and it is given to the apostles the money from that property. He loves Jesus and they know that. He's a man that's well regarded by them. In fact, he's so well regarded that Barnabas is mentioned 23 times in the book of Acts itself. He's a man of great familiarity and respect. And here is where we learn of his great social capital. He might not have great wealth, but he has great respect. He has great uh, confidence of the apostles. And that well-respected and confident voice speaks into the uncertainty of these people, and it is trusted. The most powerful and meaningful places of his life uh, let me say, the most powerful and meaningful places for you to practice advocacy is where you have garnered social capital. It's that way for Barnabas, and it's that way for you. You want to be a powerful advocate. Where do you have social capital? I'm learning this myself right now as a pastor, that my voice actually has a lot more significance than I deem it to be. There is a social capital with being a pastor. What about with you? You have the ability to advocate for certain peoples in your life. Where is that? As you deem that, that is where you can be a very powerful advocate. If we observe these places in our lives, we can be effective advocates and we can change people's lives in very small ways. I'll never forget in 1997 when I started at Westminster Academy in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. It was a new school for me and for my siblings and none of us knew anyone at the school. Of course, being at a new school, I was incredibly self-conscious and nervous to go to this school. And like most ninth graders starting at this school where they don't know anyone, I desperately wanted to fit in. I just didn't know how I was going to do it. I mean, one of my greatest fears on that first day was sitting in the lunchroom by myself. Thankfully, the school understood what I and many other first-year students were going through and they wanted to help. So they assigned each first-year student an advocate to help acclimate them to the school. The advocate they assigned to me was a guy named Michael Hanna. He was a well-respected guy and had many friends. And on this first day, he took me around, brought me to different places, around the school, around, uh, around his friends, and it was an incredibly comforting experience for me. As I think back to my high school, it was one of the more memorable moments of my time there. It helped bridge my time from not knowing anyone to knowing someone. And the truth be told, Michael didn't become one of my friends. Sure, he was, we were friendly, but it was a small act of him advocating that really made my time in high school a beautiful thing. This is what advocates do, acting and acting wisely where they have social capital. When we see advocates practicing, using the social capital that they've garnered and acting on behalf of those who can't act, oh, there's great produce. So this, this is where we must go. If we're, gonna if we're gonna grow in our appreciation and participation in advocacy, 
Not only do we need to see the purpose of advocacy, we need to consider its practice. But there's one final aspect that's important to consider as we grow in our appreciation and participation of advocacy. And that's what our advocacy produces. So thirdly, the produce of advocacy. Now you might be sitting there going, the produce of advocacy, produce? What are you talking about? Here's what I'm trying to, to, to communicate. I'm trying to communicate what the fruit of advocacy is. Look, as a pastor, I have taken vows to alliterate every sermon. <laughs> and I couldn't possibly communicate to you a sermon where the main points are the purpose of advocacy, the practi practice of advocacy, and the fruit of advocacy. You just can't do that. That doesn't hit. So the produce of advocacy. You get it? What is the produce of advocacy? Verse 28 and a little bit of verse 29. Saul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. There are two juicy pieces of produce that was brought on by Barnabas' advocacy that I want you to see. The first is for Saul himself. Saul, you see, is welcomed by the apostles. He went in and out amongst them like you do at your family home. Before Barnabas' advocacy, Saul was feared, but now because of it, he is one of them. He comes in and out as he pleases. He's like a family member. The second juicy piece of produce is for the people of God himself. Because Barnabas advocated for Saul, he ended up becoming a blessing to the church in Jerusalem. Look at what Saul does. He starts to preach boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus right in their midst. And then he disputes against the Hellenistic Jews. Saul tells us in Galatians that he did this for about 15 days. So can you imagine what it would have been like to sit for 15 days at the feet of Paul, Saul, listening to him preach? I mean, the whole... Like, over half the New Testament and most of our thought comes from this man. Could you imagine what it was like to sit for 15 days at his feet? On, on top of that, could you imagine what it would have been like for you to watch him interacting with the Hellenistic Jews? This isn't some small little details. Three years earlier, Saul is the one who these Hellenistic Jews are dropping their coats at their, his feet. Saul is the one who's probably directing them to kill Stephen. And now, three years later, they're watching Saul disputing with them. Their minds must have been blown. What kind of God do we serve that can transform a heart like Saul into Paul? What kind of God is this that can transform that guy to this guy? What a God we serve. And all was a produce of Barnabas's advocacy. Advocacy brought about a great produce for both Saul himself, but also for the church. In the summer of 2014, Kimberly and I moved to Little Rock. And when we did, we only knew one person in the city, and that was frankly due to the fact that a friend advocated for us with his friend in May when we looked for housing here. We had one child at the time, and the church we were attending was 25 minutes away in Bryant. But the man that we were introduced to was a guy named Chris. And Chris had developed uh, uh, friendships with several people in this part of town. 
And through that one friendship, Chris began to advocate for us with many of his friends. And so we started going to parties and we started to go to, to restaurants with Chris's friends. And then when we got the green light to start this church, some of those friends helped start this church. And it all started with Chris advocating for us with his friends. It became a great benefit to us because we didn't feel alone in the city of Little Rock where we knew anybody. But it also became a great benefit to you because some of those people that he advocated with us helped start this church. This is what advocacy does. I'm sure some of you could tell stories of the ways that advocates have played a vital role in your life. I'm sure there's Chris's in your life and Michael's in your life and Todd's in your life. And when you think about it, you go, that was a very small act, but man, did it yield an incredible result. We have to see that advocacy doesn't take a lot, but it yields a great result. Oh, we have to see this. The produce of advocacy is rich. Now, perhaps you're sitting there thinking about advocacy and wondering, I actually would like an advocate. But perhaps you're sitting there feeling burdened by, by this task for me trying to encourage you to become an advocate, thinking that, oh, this is just one more burden on your life. But I want to remind you, those of you that long for an advocate and those that see this advocacy as part of this burden on your life, that at the heart of the Christian faith is the advocacy of Jesus. The Apostle John writes in his epistle, 1 John 2.1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For those of you that are longing for an advocate, those of you saying, there's no way it is possible for me to be made right with the God who's made all things, who's holy and righteous. There's no way. It's impossible. There is an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. For those of you that feel burdened by being an advocate, remember, he advocates for you before the Father. He uses the social capital that he earned in his life on your behalf, whispering into the Father's ear, no, this is mine, mine, mine. Jesus' advocacy for you is a benefit for you right now, freeing you to live trans great transparency and freedom before God. The advocacy of Jesus is a great freeing privilege. In many ways, the heart of Christianity is known in its advocacy. The advocacy of Jesus is a great and beautiful gift. To my friends in here that, that are not familiar with this great advocate, today you have a chance to experience him. All you need to do is to come and trust him, saying, you're the only way that I can have a relationship with God. And you can do that by simply trusting him. Friends, we have an advocate. And having been loved in such a way by Jesus, we have the privilege to move to others in a similar way. 
that just as we have been loved, we can love. Advocacy is such a beautiful gift. It is a small and seemingly insignificant gift. But in doing it, it yields a great reward. As Christians, this is our reward. We know that God's smile is ours because of our advocate. Let us do that for others. Let me pray. Almighty God, we give thanks to you that sinners like us can be free in your presence because of our advocate, Jesus Christ. Yes, he is indeed interceding for us on our behalf at the present time. Oh, Lord, the reality is that we need to to remember this, that we can be one with you because of our advocate. But there are friends that we come into contact with, our neighbors, our family members, our coworkers who need advocates as well. And so what I ask, oh, Lord, is that we, people who are being advocated upon day in and day out, would begin to advocate for for those who need advocating. That that, that the people of this church would be such beautiful advocates that when we we get to heaven, we can look and say, what a beautiful result that this advocacy has brought in so many people's life. Oh Lord, I pray that you would do this. Use us in small ways and may, may indeed yield great results. Amen.